Hello and welcome back to the One Take Show podcast. This is the hundredth episode of the podcast, and I can't tell you this is one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I've spoken to so many guests, so many experts, so many seniors. I've brought their stories, their experiences to you, and personally, I've gained so much. I've learned so much. And what better way to celebrate this hundredth episode mark but to have a conversation with one of the finest guests of the podcast, none other than Mr. Bharat Chug. Sir is formerly a judge, was formerly a partner at. LNL Partners and is currently practicing as an independent counsel in New Delhi. In this episode, we talk about litigation 101, and that's about it. That's all the introduction I'm going to give you because every minute of this episode is a gem in itself. We talk about so many different things that it is going to add to your perspective, to your values in indefinite amount of ways. So please do watch this episode in entirety. More so, if you like this episode, which I'm sure you will, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the channel. If you have any suggestions or feedbacks. Write them down in the comment section. I would love to read them. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's start the podcast. You want something? Go get it. Period. Hello, so welcome to the hundredth episode of the One Take Show. I, in no words possible, can convey how happy, how grateful I am to uh, have you on the podcast once again, and to actually have the opportunity to. Host this conversation, bring this conversation to every law student. I think it is at this point when this podcast has really reached its purpose and has realized everything that it stood for. So, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Kostav. Really enjoyed the last conversation that we had, and I'm glad we are following up on it. Absolutely, sir. And I think before we start with this conversation, there is so much that I want to really learn from you. And I'm sure, like, if we start going down that rabbit hole, I wouldn't stop uh, because I have so many questions to ask. But uh, before we get into all of that, I just want to convey from every law student's perspective, there is a sense of um, there's like a tremendous amount of inspiration that flows. We really look up to you, and we really adore you. Your literature, the writings, the education, your guidance. and your constant presence in our lives in one way or the other uh, through your linkedin posts or your blog posts uh, we just want to i just want to thank you for that and uh, i hope that you are aware of it uh, it gets conveyed to you but in that context sir how do you see yourself when you put yourself in that position do you see your journey inspiring to other people and how does that reflect to you personally and professionally um, cost of that's <laughs> i mean you're very kind you've always been and i think i've always gotten more than my due from my peers my colleagues my seniors and my interns at the chamber uh, people that i worked with first as a judge then as somebody who's a lawyer at the firm even otherwise you know it's it's i i don't think i'm worthy of this uh, but again uh, i love to share the little that i know you know it's been an interesting journey Uh, the last nine years that I've spent at the bar, um, again, in have had the occasion of looking at uh, litigation and courts, you know, from a number of different perspectives, and just like to share the the, the little that I know. And uh, I personally feel there is this huge vacuum where uh, we are just not doing enough, you know, co- the college education, even with the best intentions, great professors and everything, it's just not bridging that gap between what is needed. in terms of uh, the practice of law and what we read or in terms of what does it take to be a judge and what we read at college and this is the vacuum that needs to be filled in some capacity or the other or in some form or the other i over the last one and a half years with courts only hearing the most urgent matters i've and me not spending a lot of tra- time you know getting from one court to the other or one city to the other i tried to fill that in uh with my engagements with the younger law students younger lawyers from across the country and uh, just to talk about judgeship just talk about what does it take to be a judge what do you do when you become a judge um try and help people uh, prepare for the exam try and help people who become judges uh be be sort of better judges uh, you know moving from what i call mere judging to justicing equally for for my young friends at the bar uh, helping them understand the softer aspects of advocacy like cross examination talking to a client briefing a senior making a briefing note how do you distinguish a case law how do you read a case law head notes versus a judgment ratio versus obiter you know these these finer things which are somehow uh, you know we missed out in law college for whatever reason maybe you weren't sincere enough 
but we did miss out on those and the idea is to bridge that uh, and, and and all the love and affection that i have gotten over the last uh, few years i i find myself thoroughly undeserving but again it motivates me to sort of keep reading uh, keep uh, try you know learning up newer areas of law and communicating them to 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 you know the younger generation and now suddenly this makes me feel like 100 years old <laughs> communicated to the younger generation you know in a in a manner which is uh, understandable interesting concise and it actually makes uh, sense for them and you know in the process of this engagement i I've, i've been more benefited i think by the uh, younger people that i've engaged with because each time we visit an area of law in order to put it simply i force myself to think more clearly i force myself to understand it better because that's the only way i can communicate and this engagement of a classroom whether it's through a webinar or a course or an engagement such as this has helped me sort of be better in the courtroom and then the courtroom learning has sort of reinforced what i do you know whether through a blog post or a column or a webinar so i i think in the end i've personally benefited far more than any of my advisors may have benefited uh, the younger members right so because from the from this end of this conversation although you say that you feel uh, very old uh, from the legal age you're fairly young and to have that level of understanding and to have that level of following because i can say this for as a matter of fact that we all look up to you for everything that there is to follow we try to um, you know craft our imagination of what a career in law would look like uh, by following your footsteps and when it comes to that i think one of the first prime examples of when we all started following you at least i genuinely started taking interest was when we came across justice mulli dar's mention of your poem and i know like we've spoken about your experience as a judge and i won't want to reiterate that um, once again but that one moment should have been very very uh, you know precious for you as well when that was celebrated um, uh, a tea sala and a judge as a poem you know, going viral and creating that kind of impact in the judiciary as well what was that moment like for you sir it was it was phenomenal i mean i passed those orders or wrote those poems back when i was a judge 20 i think i must be 24 or 25 uh at that moment the idea of course was to sort of help out as many people as one could be sensitive be compassionate uh be the change that i wanted to see in the world you know and uh, so that 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 was the spirit of the order and and the spirit of judgeship for me um then of course i decided to come back to the practice of law because this was very dear to me advocacy um this was what i identified with this is who i am uh and then you know when i was serving as a partner at lutra i think uh, justim smugli sir was kind enough to mention the poem in one of the lectures that he was taking on uh, legal aid or social justice issues and sensitivity and uh and uh, that sort of captured uh, the imagination of a lot of people and uh, uh, that was that was quite overwhelming because justim smugli sir is somebody that we all looked up to in in law and in life Uh, with with uh, his, his judgments for his sensitivity with with he certainly leads by example one of the most illustrious judges we've had so it was a big moment uh, uh being recognized by somebody that that I've looked up to and um, but but the best part for me about the whole uh, uh, episode around the tea seller and the judge was that a lot of people from across the country young judges you know for example sitting in trivandrum or sitting in you know kashmir uh you know took a leaf out of that poem or from that thought process and uh they said we pass similar orders in you know slightly different scenario we've uh, let somebody uh, get out uh, on the defense of necessity and so the the conversation that it led to on on judging and justicing and you know being being more compassionate that was that was amazing and uh, i still and and you know a lot of people started looking at judgeship in a different way many people wrote to me saying that they want to be judges because they also want to make a difference just like that uh, they want to be there use their legal knowledge to actually uh, make a difference you know uh, and and that was the high point and uh, fantastic fantastic stuff absolutely so in fact recently uh, it was uh, honorable justice uh, chandrachur who made a reference that there are two 
structures of law that function in our country one for the rich and one for the poor and uh, a conversation i was having with a friend of mine immediately shared a poem with me and he said you're going to have a conversation with sir please mention this poem and make a reference of it because it is still very relevant even when we have a conversation about these things how it is impacting us as a society it's making very relevant and so very interesting thing that you mentioned and i think you're the perfect person uh, for me to ask that now making an advent from uh, working in a corporate law firm as a partner and serving as a partner being a very different uh, work culture to moving towards becoming an independent advocate and practicing uh, this change must in itself have brought a different kind of an experience for you what was this change like and first what actually inspired you to go ahead with it and uh, how has the process been like oh, sorry great question i uh, i've always wanted to be in court as much as i could uh, that's that's how a litigator thinks that's what a litigator wants from life to be able to be in court you know by uh, a power of persuasion convince a judge do difficult matters do socially relevant matters do matters which make a difference to people's lives so advocacy is something that i really like i was appearing in a lot of cases even while i was at the firm even though i was in a firm i was in the disputes team so we were doing litigation most of it was corporate litigation arbitration white collar crime defenses and so on uh, the idea to make a shift was motivated by actually a number of considerations uh, one was of course being in court more uh, which i get to do as an independent counsel uh, work on a variety of issues you know you're arguing a constitutional law matter on day one you know in the afternoon you're doing an arbitration then you're doing a trial uh, so the, the independence that being on your own uh you know means is is something that's always fascinated me i think being on my own i also uh, I, i mean a lot of my time is spent engaging in uh, teaching or you know writing uh, being on one's own it's easier to sort of manage your time that way uh, you can run the ship the way that one wants to although the firm's been extremely kind to me got to work on some of the best matters there uh but um, wanted to be in court a bit more wanted to also have a very social dimension to how i practice law uh, because uh, i've done a lot of commercial litigation from one side or the other but at the same time i wanted to do cases which actually mean for the last man or woman in the line for the common man socially relevant issues policy related issues pro bono matters we've been doing a lot of those lately uh that's what you get to do when you're on your own uh and and when you do not have uh, the other economic considerations uh, largely at play so that was one of the reasons also <clears throat> was uh, another reason was to uh just i think uh, do 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 different kinds of work and not be uh, constrained in any sense with the diversity that you can deal with and to also uh, explore whether you know you can be a generalist lawyer where you can argue constitutional law you know a, a sfio criminal trial a technology intermediary related matter or a service matter all on the same day or is it something that you just can't and you know you have to super specialize so it was also an experiment for me in that sense a lot of young people ask me uh, is is generalization the way to go or do you super specialize what's better what's commercially more lucrative what is better for your own growth and i always fall on the side of being a generalist where your understanding of so many disciplines adds so much to how you strategize on a case adds so much to how you present arguments adds so much to your outlook uh, and your understanding of the world as it stands so i think uh, being an independent counsel where you're briefed by counsels from across the country on a variety of matters uh, helps me grow more uh, intellectually uh, uh, you know be more fulfilled in terms of what i'm giving back to the society possibly contribute more time to pro bono and uh, teaching whether it is at academies or informal discussions with students and i i feel more free that way now and uh, never a dull day or never a day of regret ever since right sir and i think this is uh, very appropriate for all the law students who are interested in disputes in general uh, because there is a juxtaposition where they have to make a choice between practicing this disputes in a law firm or joining an independent chamber and practicing the hardcore litigation in the courts through via trial courts or and then subsequently moving on to the higher courts so if if i were to ask you that is there a way for me to conceptualize the difference 
or uh, a change in the work style or the work culture between working in a disputes team in a law firm in a top tier law firm and then working in an independent chamber where there is a rather broader generalization as you suggest uh, how can we sort of make up our mind while deciding uh, between these two different worlds of the practice that's a great question uh, things are of course done differently you know when you are in a law firm and when you are in individual chamber for instance you know the matters that come to a tier one law firm would be usually very very high stake matters those matters would be very very document intensive so you would have a case where the documents run into 100000 pages there would be many many associates working on a single matter there would be associate senior associates principal associate partners equity partners working on the same matter and then there would be external senior counsels who you would be engaging with on strategy on settling of drafts of arguments in the court and so that's the kind of matter that comes to a law firm which is a which is which requires a number of hands you know you'll have teams of 15 lawyers working on a single matter and there would be times when they are doing nothing but working on that one matter for one year or one and a half years right there are a lot of useful skills that you gather in that process on working on very big and complicated matters you know your research uh, document management uh, th- those get sharpened uh, you get to engage with the best people in the business in terms of minds so when you are for example briefing a senior counsel uh, if it's a very big stake matter you would you would normally have the best legal minds in the country on your side or the other side engaging with them is quite an experience you know the way they look at law the way they articulate the way they strategize very very good skills to have you also get a very robust understanding of how finances and businesses work because most of your clients are going to be corporates you'll be dealing with in house counsels you normally would not be dealing with the individual client so you would get an understanding of how corporations take their litigation decisions how do they approach litigation how do they uh, litigate or not litigate um, so all of those things you also since you, you know for example you're dealing with a lot of international lawyers on some matters you get to understand different cultures you get to understand different uh, you know uh, legal system differences you know for example there was a arbitration that we were working on where we had lawyers from six jurisdictions sitting on the same table arbitrators from three different jurisdictions and legal systems somebody is a common law somebody is civil law somebody is an inquisitorial system and, the, and some of the best law firms uh, in the world got together on, on some of those matters there is a certain amount of learning there but again everything has an opportunity cost right uh, if you're working on those what are you missing out on you're missing out on diversity you're missing out on dealing with a variety of clients you're missing out on rubbing shoulders with clerks in the registry clearing objections so the very useful skills to be having for you to litigate uh, and you also miss out on volume because you sometimes feel like a very small cog in a giant wheel of a litigation when you're on a corporate firm uh, especially when you're starting off as an associate uh in a in a in a smaller chamber where you are yourself doing some of the matters or playing a bigger role uh, on in some of the smaller terms matters that gives you more responsibility that gives you more face time in the court that gives you uh, the sense of being independent the sense of uh, you know uh, being able to do things on your own so there are opportunity costs for everything i personally think that if the dream is to be a counsel in court and to be the voice of your client and not just a solicitor who's preparing the case as opposed to a barrister i mean we don't have the discussion in uh, india mostly but again a law firm essentially prepares the case and then a senior counsel comes and argues it in the court it depends on where you want to be uh, it would be a lot more hustle in litigation and in chambers of course than a law firm a law firm is a relatively more secure place financially uh, in terms of uh, you know your cv it's a more sophisticated way of doing it for want of a better term but if you're doing it in a chamber you're actually more more hands on uh, so it depends on what you do what at what point of life are you in for example if somebody who's who's looking for more financial security you have an education loan to play pay and there are other considerations join a firm but if the idea is to be in court more the i think it's better to join a chamber which has diversity which has volume where you get to do things where you start taking up your own matters alongside your seniors and start taking responsibility for those if the idea is to be in court uh, this is a better path for me at least for the newcomer for example you know if you've climbed up the ranks and you become a partner at a law firm then of course you get to argue more you get to you know do more on your own strategize and build things 
but in the first few years you would or you may sometimes find a work a bit monotonous and repetitive uh, although the life at a chamber may look to be more interesting that way although it may be less money so one has to do that balancing depending on one's circumstances and take the call i would personally advise you know youngsters to start off with chambers if uh, they are serious about being counsel right sir wonderful because this becomes so relevant when we sort of make a choice especially for all the people who are first generation lawyers uh, the litigation becomes a challenge because it as you said does not provide us that kind of a financial security that a firm practice would and uh, one of those major reasons is because not all of us are very well aware of as to how to tap into the opportunities that could get us uh, more sort of an economic or a financial awareness because one idea is obviously being a generalist tap into any case or any matter that comes your way and go about it or the other idea is to become a specialist in one field and pursue that one field and then make a make your name in that field and automatically the matters will flow towards you so is it better that we find a more suitable or a more structured atmosphere to groom ourselves in that position or to jump into a chamber and get whatever a mentor provides us to and then learn through the process and forget about the economic security yeah i would i would be the last person to say forget about the economic uh, security or insecurity because i've seen these challenges uh, for, for for most of my life i mean till till i was 21 years we were staying in a one room flat all of my family and i didn't have a place to study we didn't know how we'll make rent that was the uncertainty uh, during which i was preparing for the judicial services exam so i didn't know if i'll make it or not and if i don't what would i do i have a huge gap on my cv i don't come from a national law school maybe the law firms are not going to entertain me and so on so i know uh, you know what economic insecurity is and the toll it can take on your uh, on your mental health on your psyche and uh, all of that so i won't say forget about it i'm just saying that if you can manage if you can manage with less then the focus initially should be to invest in yourself you know law is a marathon it's not a sprint you may not get the results quickly that's unfortunately the nature of the beast what do you do about it you may not get returns quickly but you're learning uh, the kind of experience that you are having is all going to pay you you know many many times over but that would take some time the idea is to be at it if for example your economic insecurity is dire then of course take the first thing that you get which gives you that financial security you will always come back to litigation once you repaid your loan or given some semblance of financial security to your family you will always come back to litigation so it's never too late decide uh, i personally would think on the question of uh, journalist versus specialist don't try to super specialize for at least the first 3 4 5 years economically it may be very lucrative you may carve out a name for yourself as being a tax practitioner a gst practitioner but at the end of the day the gst provisions are tested where tested at the anvil of the constitution right and with how interconnected everything is it's good to sort of give time to different kinds of disputes uh, the first few years and then maybe and you know once you've done that with 7 8 years or 10 years or 15 years of committed learning and not just learning on law reading in life and you know trying to uh, be, being a seeker trying to know things more and more about this world you know even if that means trying to know something about everything instead of everything about something you know but then that also gives you a perspective and lawyering is about perspective lawyering is not about digging a trench that is deeper and deeper and deeper because once you super specialize you've dug a trench that is so deep that you can't get out of it maybe you super specialize in an area which becomes redundant tomorrow what do you do then then you'll have to reinvent yourself after eight years right i mean what what winding up used to be ibc's changed the game many legal areas become redundant and a new things come up and then you have to reinvent you can do that really well if you know the general fundamentals really well and you've done a variety of different things so don't dig that trench so deep that is difficult for you to step out you know try and, and you know it's also diversifying risk in that sense you know you never put all your eggs in one basket so try and but don't spread yourself too thin again because a person who would come to you for instance with a service matter expects you to know that and you will be doing your client a huge disservice if you've just taken it up for experience that's not fair to the client right then you will have to burn midnight oil you'll have to cut down on your sleep in that sense because you have to do justice on that matter too 
so so ultimately you know if if you're working hard you'll be able to find the right balance on what is working for you whether you are growing or not we all get to know if you're intellectually growing or we are stagnating and then we start looking so uh, whenever that happens to you take a step back read david and uh, looking at the long term always helps absolutely sir i think this reminds me of a wonderful post of yours where you talk about learning from the university of life and um, having that broader sense of perspectives that we keep gathering and how that is so useful for every litigator because just for all the viewers who happen to not follow you for some reason i don't understand uh, they they must be aware that there is a series you started it was litigation 101 and it's absolutely wonderful all the posts around it was also something that was absolutely out of the mark giving us all the important perspectives so when you talk about learning from the university of life and when it comes to the value that it brings to a litigator's uh, career or professionally personally how important is it that we be aware of what is happening around us to build that level of awareness commercial awareness or uh, awareness about the interpersonal skills or anything that we can learn from the university of life i think that's the only way to sort of uh, learn law with how inextricably it is connected with people you know, these are human lives a client is here you need eq to sort of talk to the client get the client to you know trust you you need eq to sort of stand in the court and develop a rapport with the judge where the judge begins to trust you the judge does not see you as a as a guy who's slimy and who's misleading the court you know in a different court where you've never appeared or a foreign tribunal you need to create that confidence that can only happen when you understand people let your compassionate and sensitive uh, so that's that's the re- and this is not something that the, that a book can tell you this this can only happen if you keenly observe people around you if you are if you if you engage with them as human beings and if you think i think more than anything else reading extensively and widely about psychology sociology history all of that i can't emphasize this enough you know we we as young people and i like to include myself in that bracket now um, we we haven't lived enough you know our lived realities are not enough so what we need to do is we need to borrow from the masters we need to vicariously live through the books and if you can live a couple of lifetimes and learn those skills what to do what not to do you know for example a a chinese uh, you know warfare expert can tell you a lot about litigation can tell you a lot about uh, cross examination in the art of warfare uh in in the art of war so you 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 need to draw from those chanakya can tell you about cross examination if you if you look at it in the right way uh so just uh keep an open mind have that hunger to know and uh again you know you you made a very good point about if you have a client who's a corporation they want to make a decision whether to arbitrate or not or litigate or not there is obviously a economic decision behind it does it they would do a cost benefit analysis if you are not there with your client on the cost benefit analysis for example if you advise and they indulge into a misadventure of a litigation where they end up losing a lot of money or the gains are not commensurate with the risk that they are taking and you don't understand that those finances or that business thinking behind it you would not be able to be the trusted advisor for your client or you would be able to advise them effectively so important for you to be to to just get out of your own skin and think like the other man whether it's a judge it's a client it's a witness it's a co-counsel it's your own uh, colleagues it's your own interns it's, it's it's just it's your own students it's just about that and uh, of course i mean i'm not against conventional education let me not be uh, mistaken uh, although i love to call myself somebody said a scholar on the road instead of a road scholar <laughs> so that's that's how i've learned to you know learn law and life um uh, study is important academia is important but taking a step back from the books thinking about it giving it a practical dimension is extremely extremely uh, important yeah right sir because at the end of the day does it translate into real life or not is also a big question you mentioned that a lot of litigators who get into the practice imagine themselves of being those illustrious lawyers or argumentative uh, those arguing counsels who get into the courtroom and just fluster the judges and there is an applause all around and then you use a very interesting phrase uh, which is and i have noted it down well laid out schemes of mice and men and uh, you summarize how the reality check is 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 something that dawns upon these lawyers these advocates the young advocates and how they need to adapt to it do you think it's important that we uh, apart from having that experience through internships 
or having that experience through actually going through the argumentation in the initial years how important is it that we prepare ourselves for such situations and to have a better understanding to match our ideal situation with the real situation it's a great question i think that that can be bridged by number one again reading as much a lot of learning in law happens through osmosis by just looking at people uh, just being in the court looking at people you know open a case terribly or open a case beautifully or responding to uh, how the judge is responding you know in in a certain sensitive way where you are sort of uh, you can anticipate what the judge is going to ask less you can you can see what are the questions that are judge can possibly have on a brief like this you know there have been cases where we stood up in court and the judge thrown my brief before i could walk to the dais and i and i told the judge that this is this is exactly what i did when the client came to me i also threw the file i don't think he has a case but then i turned to page 49 you know my lord scan for a moment you know when he picked up the file again right. you know that's that's what you do because i anticipated that this on the face of it was purely hopeless case but then and if i started fighting with the judge or if i started taking this as a personal affront how can you throw the file you have a turkey that's never going to work in a court uh, that guy is not your enemy that you, both of you are driven towards one objective that is to find justice in your case so align yourself with that uh, with that individual who's called the judge and and just try to find common ground and emphasize and visualize what he's going to ask so just to come down to the question you know this question is about visualization as a young lawyer i used to walk into the court with a script ready with case laws with rhetorical flourishes with a quick turn of wit and i and i would be really disappointed because i wouldn't get an opportunity to do all of that the judge who cut me out at some point along the spectrum uh, depending on the patience in the judge and i would be extremely disappointed and that is why it's very important to sort of be your own worst critic i think or your best critic you know there's this uh, phrase in creative writing that one uses it's called uh, kill your darling uh, you know sometimes you fall in love with a phrase sometimes you fall in love with your own argument your own voice a little too much the idea is to not be afraid to take it out and amputate it you know and look at everything that you are doing extremely critically that's the only way to do it because even if you don't the judge is going to look at it the opposite side is going to look at it critically why not battle it out so well within your chambers within your mind that you are not leaving any situations unseen lot of it would come through time don't think it's going to happen just because you sit in a dark room with beethoven on and you're focusing very hard on the brief and you'll come up with all the answers no some of it would only happen once you've been through those situations when you have those patterns in your head you have to experience right uh, some things so things would happen slowly but the importance of thinking you know is is very very important and don't be too self indulgent you know uh, sometimes as young people we hard to self indulge you know we fall in love with ourselves too much uh, but as we you know sort of there's too much idealism also which is a good thing but then we grow up and we start looking at things more objectively we we hear other people to we we become critical of ourselves i think as long as you are questioning everything as long as you are not taking anything in a state of willing suspension of disbelief you're good and you're ready uh, and we try to do that in the chamber you know we and and sometimes my my colleagues hate me for it because of how how um, how how deeply we analyze and how deeply we sort of fight it out you know Uh, even at the firm we we would love to do moot courts you know before we go to court where we would have different sides taking up different arguments just to be the devil's advocate and try to test ourselves before we get tested in the court so those are important exercises uh, do as much as you can of those thinking about the brief visualizing is very very important but not done enough i feel uh, by people across the board right sir but this something you interesting you mentioned thinking about a brief and you've also mentioned it in one of your uh, posts regarding litigation 101 uh, what exactly is it that you mean by thinking about a brief is it the imagination of all possible outcomes or all possible scenarios that can go down in a courtroom or is it that you formulate different plans and different alternate strategies that can be undertaken or is it that you make a choice strategic commercial choice or whether we want to go ahead with this step or not and then you think about because this experience that i've had very limited one 
of observing senior councils not really thinking much about or spending a lot of time on uh, the laws but spending a lot of time on facts and how it is going to go down in the court and how it is to be uh, pursued by a certain judge or a certain uh, bench uh, at a particular point of time so is that what this interpretation is about so it's actually a, a bit of all of what you mentioned uh, number one i think is is of course reading it really well knowing those facts you should know then i think when when the thinking part comes in you visualize first of all you become the party you become the claimant you become the defendant and then you switch roles also then you become the claimant also you you live you 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 try and envisage you know what must have happened what was the intent why did they write this if you are interpreting a contract take go back to the time when they were negotiating that contract what would have happened what was the what was the tension in the room like and then see what does this clause mean what was the background to this clause what do, how was the company doing at that point what was the need of this clause uh, uh, who were negotiating on either party's side what kind of lawyers what kind of in house teams it's it's about that visualization it's about becoming a party number one and when i say become a party i'm not saying that become emotional or become emotionally connected to your brief that you are angry and you're you know it leads to you becoming too involved not that just visualize and and think like the parties board and all the parties number of different perspectives as you said you know and there may be many many perspectives in a criminal matter there may be the prosecutor the society the victim the immediate victim the accused the judge the probation officer uh, there may be n number of ways you can look at it and that is where you would be able to choose what works in a given situation you know one perspective may work and then in the the, the other may work spend time with it most briefs are going to take time to seep in you know sometimes you would read it you will wake up with an idea the next morning or two days after you've read it give things time you know you are as good as your last performance in the court you know court is a great equalizer you know we may we may say that uh, we've done this we've done that but ultimately what we do there is is what really counts so you need to do all of this thinking to maintain that quality to maintain that uh, you know mastery over the matter where nothing surprises you i think the ideal situation would be if i go into a matter and there is no question no fact no situation that i haven't foreseen and that's what the best people in the business do they acquire it by having done so many for example if you've done 20000 appeals you know those situations right Uh, the difficulty with younger people is that and that is the reason you know people say okay let's go in for a more senior counsel or go for a senior doctor because he's identified more patterns and he's more attuned uska instinct bhi developed hai you know he can possibly uh, make things out at the first blush and do a prognosis but a younger person hasn't seen those patterns so you'll have to read you'll have to think doubly hard speak to as many seniors as you can on a given uh, situation anonymizing the facts ask different people different aspects of the case please ask people to weigh in it's very helpful profession in a lot of ways you know where people can tell you from their experience because if you have acquired 20 different perspectives on a matter you are very good to go you know and and uh, the problem is being too much in your own head as far as litigation is concerned i'm i'm sorry the conversation is turning out to be too too psychological in that in that sense or philosophical but when this is uh quite quite important and i mean whatever all that you said is is uh important and that is what i mean by thinking about the brief and when i say thinking about the brief law law is extremely important too i mean you should not try to go to court unless you read all the case laws that oppose you right uh, those are more important than the ones that support you i see cherry picking i see paras being relied upon without understanding of the context i see statute provision being relied upon in a bare act without looking at what the chapter heading is what the marginal note is what the statement of objects is what the non obstante is so all of these things are interrelated and if you're thinking about the law and this and and the only way to do it really well to love it yaar uh, you know unless you're passionate about it you would find this tedious to do you would find yourself distracted all the time so uh, the idea is to sort of love it and and the the and find a lot of joy in solving a legal problem you know and uh, once you find that joy this thinking about the brief that i keep hopping on is not going to be as problematic right sorry for that very very long meandering answer <laughs> no no <sir. laughs> 
sir i i wanted to make this episode unique because obviously there is so much that has been written and spoken about you that it's very difficult for me to sort of garner an episode or a structure of episode that is very unique for our audience but i think i am successful we, we as uh, this episode is becoming slightly successful in that front uh, we having some really interesting conversation uh, one thing that you mentioned so is very interesting because when we talk about this uh, envisioning of what can go down and what cannot um, there must be a lot of briefs that come to you and there is a sense of drafting that reflects that level of storytelling because at the end of the day i think dispute resolution essentially comes from a very uh, innate sense of love for storytelling and it is the understanding and interpretation of the same how do you think because this is also one of the things that you mentioned in one of your posts that how does this uh, real unique sense of drafting uh, can be learned by anyone is it a skill that can be acquired and if it is so how is it that can be acquired it's a great question uh, i think one of the ways in which you can tell a better story is to read a lot of stories right and then look at the master storytellers and how they do it how they grab you by the collar and make you sit and read right uh, i'm not saying that you make uh, you know your uh, writings very very literary or you know very very flowery or not that the idea of course is at all times going to be communicating that is why you write a brief that is why you write a judgment that is why you write a legal opinion the idea is to have a conversation there are certain formalities that are there in drafting but those formalities and legal requirements do not take away the storytelling element according to me for instance the cpc is going to tell you that you need to state uh, the material facts now that's very good that's what you do in good storytelling you tell everybody you would only you would not disclose the evidence by which you have to prove a fact you would only state the material fact evidence can come in later fair enough that doesn't take away communicating at all uh, so these are you know things which which you need to keep in mind if you read a lot you will know what are the different ways of telling a story right um, obviously you are not going to go into magical realism you are not going to go into 17th century english the idea would be to communicate plainly what happened right there are various instruments of doing it for example one uh, one one formula is who did what to whom you know every paragraph should reflect who did what to whom you know when you are writing sometimes you know drafting pleadings you put questions to yourself and then you go on to answer them that's another good way of writing uh, chronology uh, precision never use two words where one would do you know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line be straight for hemingway used to possibly write like that you know where he would have a certain economy with words where he would not uh, use two words when he can do with one and uh, that's that's important for drafting too i see you know things just being replicated sometimes jargon is seen as you know a, a sign of intellectual merit and caliber it's not <laughs> latin maxims you know other arcane phrases um, i i've been guilty of it too you know in my younger days where if i could make something abstract i thought of it as an intellectual achievement but it is not i think favoring the concrete over the abstract is the real achievement being able to put something very complex and nuanced in simpler words is the real achievement that would only happen when you read a lot and you write a lot you know you'd have to also explore writing outside of readings uh, you to know how to put an idea in a compressed format for you to think more clearly and and again i keep saying this and this is where you know my literary hero george orwell you know sort of comes in where he says that clear writing is indistinguishable from clear thinking you know you can't hope to write clearly or write better whether it's pleadings or articles unless you think clearly and if you're thinking sloppily you're writing sloppily and if you're writing sloppily you're thinking sloppily you know there's a vicious circle so focus is read as much write a lot uh, of course think a lot before you write i think more than anything else you know our drafting is the way that it is in most situations because of us not putting enough time to it you know you are you reproduce what's already there in some pleading thoda sa idhar se liya thoda sa udhar se liya kuch bana diya no you know there are people i know who draft pleadings when they read everything and then they don't look at a file then they dictate you know because they've internalized the fact so well and that is the way they are able to put it in in the least number of words when you're doing copy paste then of course you'll end up writing clumsily 
you know i tried doing that when i used to write journals where i wouldn't look at the file where i wouldn't look at the complaint where i wouldn't look at the defense i would just and those were my most uh, pithy judgments because i am dictating or i am typing i don't want to waste words and uh, that also ensured i understood the facts really well and i i acquired that mastery because i was not relying on the plate to take the facts from i knew them so putting in the necessary time the problem is some people are trying to do too much in too lesser time sometimes the chamber is overworked sometimes there's just timelines and then quantity takes over quality but again uh, you know the judge is going to know you by the one brief that you file before him right it's your chance to shine no other case matters you may have done 19 other things well but if you are not good with your plaint or if you are not good with your briefing that's the only thing that matters in the moment uh, seniors should also understand that and you know a portion work in that way where uh, a young young lawyer can actually give the time that briefing deserves or pleading deserves and and you know pleadings used to be again sounding like an old man pleadings used to be so pithy back in the day when i used to read i was a civil judge at tisadari i would read a plaint of 25 years old and i would see how beautiful the writing is because work was less people could you know spend time drafting and articulating uh, and then i would look at pleadings or plaint running into 100 150 pages all cut copy paste the technology hasn't helped and we wanting to do too much hasn't helped uh, but again uh, you can't be a better writer without being a better reader a better thinker or giving a brief the time and attention that it deserves wonderful sir i i i think i could just listen to this own segment of this conversation on a loop just to internalize this because obviously this is something that that is so important and i remember from our previous conversation i remember you asked you telling this very clearly that for any law student your advice is to write because if you write you have a clarity of mind and that flows through your ability to articulate your words and your thoughts and it's very important so when we talk about learning all of these things and obviously like i would want to believe that my podcast helps a lot of people and it surely does help me as well but there is a a very indispensable need of a mentor for any fresh lawyer who enters the industry a young lawyer who enters the industry is there a way that we can identify a mentor or find a mentor and reach out to a mentor as and when we find them and if we do how do we recognize and hold on to that mentor so we can stick with them and learn from them that's a, that's a great question uh, kostav i i think uh, i would say uh, they can be different mentors too it need not be one person it may be a teacher it may be a senior it may be a senior colleague at the chamber it may be somebody that you've never met that you followed and read from um now of course information is is so easily available everything is at the touch of a button and easier to find mentors in that sense you know for example i am able to connect to people sitting in the other part of the country people i would have never met never known uh, but i am able to talk to them for what it's worth so things are easier uh, but then again there must be a caveat that this is a journey that has to be traversed alone uh solitude also has its uh, you know very very important role uh, because it's essentially meditative the nature of the profession right um, you 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 need to be really comfortable with yourself too of course learning looking up to people is good um, and and these may be people that you read about that's as fine another caveat apart from uh, not sort of losing your individuality is 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 about uh, i i think also testing your heroes or you know people that you look up to really well you know uh, never take anything uh, without a pinch of salt from anyone you know uh, you if you, you in fact you need to test heroes test your people you look up to even more and hold them to a higher standard and uh, work like that uh, you know and and of course uh, with it's, it's easier to find people now and uh, once you found them you know also wanting to extract or how to extract is important because there are some people who would be hard pressed on time so you also need to respect their time you need to sort of ask relevant questions specific questions so that you are utilizing their mind better so being smart about it is very very important you know just to give you a small example uh, there are people who uh, write to me on an everyday basis and dozens of people well meaning people who write to me that uh, we want guidance 
Now the challenge for me is I can't, you know, because I don't know where you come from. I don't know, uh, you know, what are your difficulties. I don't know uh, what are your priorities. What are your likes, dislikes, and very difficult for me to have one-on-one conversations with all right. But there would be somebody who who would have already read what I've written on the subject or something that I've spoken on in a video, and now would have very pointed questions. I would find those easier to answer, and I would quickly and I try to look at every email and message that I get and try to answer. So again, the way you seek help and how successfully you are able to get it is important. Learn to respect the seniors' time, learn to respect the mentors' time. Be more prepared. Uh, do your homework. It all boils down to you know the sort of work that you are willing to put in. Because you know there are people who uh, had you know read a judgment and tell me the facts when they are briefing me. Didn't know what really happened. i am also able to contribute you know in that briefing for instance i am able to utilize that time to to share what i read you know below, from us jurisprudence or from some other experience that i have had in my life why was i able to give that away in a briefing because uh, people on the other side were more prepared they could take more if they consider me a mentor from me and i was happy to give more because i was getting from them and they were on top of it so find a mentor and then do justice to uh, somebody who is there to help absolutely sir and i i realize that i've already taken a lot of your time i hope you forgive my impudence on this front i i just have uh, two more questions that i hope we can uh, i would try to wrap this up because definitely speaking with you it's an honor it's a privilege and to have this opportunity uh, it's very easy to let go of it uh, but so my two questions are very uh, specific with reference to all the students who are trying to uh, find a mentor in you which they already do in one way or the other but in a more direct capacity where they're trying to intern under your guidance intern in your chamber and there is a very interesting uh, procedure that has been set out for you it has been put up on your uh, website as well where you you do not want a a, a run down application format that is copy pasted everywhere it needs to be very specific uh, it needs to be unique it does not need to have those very sample uh, staple sample clauses or the words that are usually used what was that what what was your reason behind using such a methodology for people applying as interns for your chamber um thanks for that question kostav a number of reasons one is that uh, one was administrative efficiency of course because we get a lot of applications for internship it's just next to impossible to sort of uh, uh, make out what we uh, who do we want and filter through those and uh, if uh, and that, that's what led me to think on the best way to do it i didn't want to delegate this to to others and in any event it's a small chamber so we don't have a dedicated hr department and i wanted to look at every application myself and uh, so i thought why not get people to write to me in a in a way which gives me the maximum information about them uh, tells me if they have a right attitude uh, aptitude uh, is also there but but not as important as attitude i would say because it's the zeal to learn it's the humility that we don't know enough and we want for and uh, and and those basic values in place and i think the present application format does help us you know know people more intimately and then see if our values align and then we sort of work together uh, i've had fantastic applications you know over the last few months after we introduced this format there are people who written to me saying that we this was the first time we were having a conversation with ourselves because we had to write this application this was the first time we sort of stopped to think what are we doing this was the first time we stopped to sort of just make sense of life this is beautiful and great stories i got to know uh, last few months have had great interns at the chambers learned so much from them and that that's one second was also about uh, diversity it's about uh, wanting to make this more inclusive wanting to make this uh, more accessible uh, i mean i mean as i say in the blog post that Uh, the law college or the pedigree or the schooling none of that matters uh, uh, what matters is who you are uh, and uh, so that that's the idea and uh, uh, so this format helps us you know make it more inclusive sometimes we make a conscious attempt to sort of have a more uh, you know uh, the more gender parity in terms of men and women and whoever wants to come it also helps us Uh, get people who got nothing to do with law so we've had people who are studying policy 
studying philosophy, studying economics, wanting to intern. Why? Because they're excited about the interface of economy, economy with law. And uh, so we've sort of reached out to a wider audience and learned so much from them. Uh, so I think uh, it's it's worked out well. And uh, we've had people, you know, who, who are not into law or who are going to join law just out of their 12th standard. And we'd have people who are practicing lawyers too, wanting to intern, because I would love to offer them a position as associates. But again, being a small chamber, we, we, we have those limitations. But such great diversity and cross-fertilization of ideas we've been able to achieve through this method. And um, I hope it's not, you know, too much of a ask that way. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. Right. So I think one wonderful thing that this application process does is that it democratizes the entire process and it uh, sort of allows us to explore our own individuality and be and be very curious about what is it and how is it that we can present ourselves. Something that we observe in the application process for the universities abroad and by a lot of other jurisdictions also celebrated. I think this is a very, very unique thing. And in addition to this question, I think the last question that I'm going to ask you is a rather very personal question that I also have been trying to find an answer to because there is a very staple rundown advice that we always receive from everyone is to work hard. As, an, as, as a law student and as a fresh lawyer, you're supposed to work hard and you're supposed to be uh, dedicated. But what does it mean to work hard, sir? Like if someone is to work for you and you are, if someone is to join you, your team, if someone is to join your chamber as a junior, and if that is expected of that person to work hard, what are the various aspects of the same that you would want that person to be aware of and include? Great question again. Um, I do not personally believe in the traditional binary of what's the hard work versus smart work. You know, that's usually an easy thing to say and say, don't hard work, just smart work. I'm not getting into that because I don't understand that enough. Hard work is important. But then again, your efforts should not be misdirected. That's something I believe in. That would, of course, require you to take a step back from time to time and, you know, think yourself, is this is this the right direction? Uh, is uh, Should I be looking at other things? And, you know, there should be a logical approach or method of doing things, a method of research, method of looking at a case. Um, different people approach it differently. Uh, for, for my chamber, for instance, my colleagues, hard work means we get a case, we are excited about it. We want to learn something new. We want to contribute. We want to push the frontiers of law. We want to get the client justice. We want to do it fairly. We want to do it the right way. We want to uh, learn law in the process. So we take up a case. We take it as an opportunity to learn the law. If we get a case on Land Acquisition Act, we would make it a point to read from Section 1 till the end of the Land Acquisition Act. Because this case is an opportunity for us to learn. You know, we are extremely blessed that we get paid to learn that way and master a new area of law. So that if somebody's excited, you know, uh, I get excited today. If I get, you know, arguing a cryptocurrency matter today, I get excited. I want to know everything about the science. I want to watch YouTube videos on it. I want to watch, uh, you know, I want to do a course on it if I can. And I, I'm, I'm interested in knowing it. So if, as long as people have that drive and that hunger and that pleasure of knowing things or pleasure of finding things out, you'll do well. You'll, you'll research appropriately. You'll try to find out answers. So that and a sense of ownership. Sense of ownership is very, very important. You know, if it's your work product, you should take a certain amount of pride in it. And once you start taking pride in your work, start taking pride, not in the negative sense, pride in, in, in the fact that this is my work. This has to be good. You know, this has to be of a certain quality because I stand for quality in life. Once you get to that and you have that self-respect and everything, then, then it works out well. Then you will... Uh, you know, work appropriately, work would not become a chore for you. And if you are finding it interesting, then uh, you won't mind, you know, also going the extra mile in that sense. And ultimately, that's that's needed. You know, there are no shortcuts here. Either you start to enjoy it, or you sort of, you know, find out alternative ways of leading life. Leading life. So again, hard work, uh, that childlike curiosity of finding out a new legal proposition or contributing. That's very, very important. You know, child is very sincere when he's playing with a toy. You know, that kind of focus, that kind of joy is what you should find in your cases. And that's all we are looking for. Wonderful. Wonderful, sir. I think this is by far one of the most interesting, indulging conversations I've had. Uh, and not just on this podcast, by the way. Uh, this is 
by far one of the most interesting episodes i think there is so much in this episode to unpack and i understand i've taken a lot of your time but i'm really really grateful for it i am really really excited to bring this episode out for everyone to watch to view to listen to learn from because i truly believe that there has been a tremendous opportunity before us all this technology has brought us closer to you and in one way or the other all of us are really getting benefited um, we all are learning so much and i am really excited before we wrap this up sir do you have any closing remarks for our viewers uh that's uh, <laughs> well uh, there is a lot of pressure on me to distill you know what i think and sort of put it in a is a test of my own principles in that sense i think uh, the idea is to just love lawyer and be passionate about it and uh, it's going to it's it's going to be a very very good you know run that way if you start loving it and uh, you'll be able to contribute much more uh, don't leave things to luck there's nothing known as luck you know seneca said it beautifully luck is the point where preparation meets opportunity keep preparing yourself an opportunity would come you strike it both come together and then uh there's beauty in that moment so just uh, sort of do that and uh, yeah <laughs> that's it thank you wonderful wonderful thank you so much sir i had a wonderful time i hope you had a good time too thank you so much for joining i had a great time thank you for having me thank you so much sir thank you